Thank you. So I actually, I, I, I screwed this up. I gave Stephanie the wrong scripture to read in here. But, I, but here's, the, here's the funny thing. No, seriously, just, just stick with me here. What she was talking about, what the, what the verse she was just reading was about envy. It was about envy. And um, just going off the cuff here, bear with me. Ultimately, I should have given her that one to read. Because that's actually more in line with what we're talking about today. That the opposite of joy in, in our context today is envy. That is really what, where it is. But I'm going to read to you as well because I'm going to reference it later just so that you know. Uh, two through uh, six, or sorry, two through eight, um, titled Faith and Wisdom in the NRSV. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face any kind of trial, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. If if any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For a doubter, being double-minded, is unstable in every way and must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. There's a whole lot in that passage of James that we could get into, and we won't. But that first verse, my brothers and sisters, this is one of the ones we had to memorize when I was in middle school. My brothers and sisters, you will face all kinds of trouble, but when you do, consider it pure joy. I have to admit it was hard for me to write a sermon about joy because I feel that today, unlike any time in my lifetime, joy is in short supply. We live in a globalized society, which in so many ways is a beautiful thing. The diversity that comes from the gathering of perspectives is really, really awesome. But ultimately, with that diversity also comes an unquenchable access to pain. My father-in-law, the other day, we were talking about how people get addicted to their devices and sit there and scroll forever, and we were talking about how some people do this with Facebook, and they just reload it and reload it and reload it and reload it. He says, I basically just do that with the news. And my, my wife said, why are you so masochistic? Why would you sit around all day just trying to read the news when the news is just full of pain and suffering? And so that, I think, I'm a person who tends to read a lot of news too. That, I think, is why I I struggled. I sat with the word joy with a period at the end of it for like a full day trying to write this sermon. I would escape to emails or to pastoral care appointments Because I I just, I was like, how do I do joy today? The fruit of the Spirit is joy. I must not have that one yet. But then I started to, to, I just was like, I just got to research and go back to the basics of seminary and just kind of, you know, you dig in, you read a bunch of commentaries, you try to figure it out. And they didn't provide me with that much insight. But they did give me a better understanding of what biblical joy is. And I kind of started thinking to myself, okay, I think we can work with this. But the whole time that I'm writing, I'm going, 
why is it so hard from an American context for me to actually experience what I would define as joy? So I'm going to teach you a Greek word today because that's what you do when you don't have anything to say about a topic. You just start talking about Greek. Say kara. Oh, try again. Kara. It's a word that you hear all the time. In fact, I've met two women in the last week that are both named Kara, which makes sense because Kara was actually a name in the Greek word world as well. Kara, they usually spell it with a K instead of a CH. But Kara is, is, is a word in Greek means joy. And, and I also know people named Joy. This is a common name for, for women in the ancient world in Greece and today. And, uh, and Kara was, was, a, was a, a word that was used all the time in Greco-Roman culture, okay? Just stick with me, just a moment, and then we're going to stop talking about all the context. But kara was a word that was used all the time. Uh, unlike other words in the Bible that we see only a couple times, or maybe they only happen in the Bible and they don't happen other places in other Greek literature, kara is all over the place. Everybody likes talking about joy in the Greco-Roman world. And that was because it was considered a virtue. A person could experience joy not, not only because of their circumstances, but it did have to do with your circumstances, but because they were able to identify their circumstances as such. There's two parts to this. One, Kara was always associated in the Greco-Roman world prior to Paul using it in this passage in Galatians as pleasant, and James in, in his passage, pleasant circumstances. If you heard the word joy, you assumed pleasant circumstances. But you also assumed that that person would be able to identify that their circumstances were pleasant. And this, I believe, is the core problem today for us. We really, really struggle to identify pleasant circumstances as such. And so before we even get into the... the, uh, the idea of biblical joy or joy that comes from a life in Christ, we have to identify that even when we have pleasant circumstances, many of us fail to experience the joy that should be a natural outpouring of those pleasant circumstances. And perhaps it's because we are entrenching ourselves in the news and we're seeing all this stuff, but also it might just be because we live in a society that's all about more, faster, bigger, better, If we cannot get past understanding that it's not always about bigger, faster, better, more, we will never experience biblical joy. Because biblical joy is not something that comes from pleasant circumstances. But until you understand what joy that comes from pleasant circumstances is, you can't apply it. So I'm going to, it's just, I'm, I'm talking a lot. Here's, here's, I'm going to use an illustration, and I need two people that are very similar, like maybe twins. Do we have any twins? Okay, great. Um, thank you, Gorensons. All right. Kate, you're going over there. Carly, you're going over there. I know it's hard for you guys to be apart, but. Why don't you imagine for a moment that Kate and Carly represent ends of a spectrum, okay? On the left, Kate, you have nothing. Sorry, you're right, my left. You have nothing. You don't have enough food. You're, perhaps you don't have a house. 
Maybe you have a car to live out of. Maybe not. Certainly the heater doesn't work anyway. You know what I mean? It's a Honda Accord from 1991. (laughs) But it still runs. 375,000 miles. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's all you have. You don't have a family. You don't have a support system. You have nothing going for you right now. On the other side, Carly, you got it all. Okay? What are some things that you have? Yeah, a house. Is it a nice house? It's the best house, better than all of your houses. You got a car, maybe a Ferrari, brand new. I don't know, do they still make them? Yeah, they, they must, right? You got the Lamborghini that drives down LaGrange, you know what I'm talking about? There's just the one guy who has the Lamborghini on LaGrange, you know what I'm talking about? That's you. You have a wonderful family. You have exactly three and a half kids. There is a white picket fence, though somehow it's also a privacy fence. We don't understand how. The city does not get mad that you don't have a fence around your pool because you own the government. You know what I mean? You have everything. Now, which one of these in American culture would we say has joy? Come on, it's obvious. Carly. But in the ancient world, they would actually look at both these people and they'd go, neither of them have joy. Joy according to the ancient Greco-Roman world, came from pleasant circumstances. But pleasant was not excess. That's going to break your brain a little bit because that's not how we view it here in the United States today or in Western culture generally. Pleasant was not excess. So they would say that Carly probably has roughly the same access to joy as Kate, who has nothing. Carly, who has everything, the best degree, the best family, the best house, has equal access to joy because joy is found somewhere in the middle. Y'all can sit down. Thank you. I just needed to give a face to it. You know what I mean? Somebody can give Kate something to eat during cafe. She's hungry. Maybe Carly, who's been hogging everything. Anyway, joy comes from somewhere in the middle. Actually, their idea of joy was that it came from the precise middle between not having enough and having too much. And the place that joy lies, that precise middle, is enough. It is contentment. And until we understand that biblical joy is simply finding yourself in the middle, even when you might be closer to one side or the other, identifying yourself as being in the middle. Until we understand that, if we keep chasing Christian joy over there, we'll never get it. We'll never get it. You will always fall short if in your physical life, You want more constantly. Spiritually, Jesus will never be enough. What we do with our physical bodies has implications for our spiritual walks. And so if you cannot find contentment in your physical circumstances, you will never find contentment in your spiritual circumstances, in your spiritual real estate. Joy is in the middle. And being able to identify that in the middle, there is something beautiful. 
So that's your first takeaway this morning. Before we even talk about how to have uncircumstantial joy, which is the joy that's born out of a relationship with Christ that's the fruit of the Spirit, that comes, as we talked about last week, all the fruits are gifts. But understand that if you, if you, if you know about agriculture at all, you can't make anything grow. It's, it's like impossible. Okay, I'm trying to do it in my house with an aquaponic system. Someday you all will come over to my house and you'll say, why do you have fish tank with goldfish in it being pumped into a big square of clay with plants growing out, growing out of it? And I'll say, that's aquaponics. Remember, I talked about it that one time and you'll say, oh yeah, that's right. I know exactly what it is. You can try and make things grow, but you will undoubtedly fail. There are certain factors that you cannot have any control over with growth. Sometimes plants just don't grow. But at the same time, and so that's one of the first things you have to understand about the fruit of the Spirit. And, and this is like especially true of fruit-bearing plants like strawberry plants. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to grow strawberries. I've, I've, I've tried. You can make the plant really big, but the actual production of the fruit, that's a, that's a fine task requires something a little bit more. So when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, yes, it's a gift, like we talked about last week. It's a gift. It comes from something you can't get it yourself. You can't work hard enough and then have it. But also, it comes from good cultivation practices. It's both. It's kind of paradoxical in that way. You, you cannot get it. You can't earn it. You can't just try hard enough, just, mm, you know, to make it happen, but you also, there's a lot of things you can do that will really make it hard to produce fruit. You have bad root system, you're not going to produce fruit. You can actually do something about that. You can prevent root rot and do these different, you can have cultivation practices. So that's, a, that's the first takeaway for this morning. Just because the fruit of the Spirit is a gift doesn't mean it's not going to require some effort from you. It's a paradox. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to last week. I talked about it being only a gift. It is only a gift. You can't make it. But it comes from some good cultivation practices. And so the first cultivation practice for us today is finding that in the middle of having too much, which is what our culture wants us to have, and having not enough, which is a very true reality for many people, and, and it's not their fault that they find themselves in that place, Finding yourself in contentment in the middle is the first cultivation step for cultivating the fruit that is joy. And so you can take a picture of this. This is the best way I've found to put this. And then we're going to move on to what, it, what, it ha what happens when we can get to this point in our lives, with our physical lives, then we can move on to having spiritual fruit. Take a picture of it, memorize it, Write it on the inside of your Bible, right next to this passage in, in Galatians. When enough isn't enough, you will never have joy. When enough isn't enough, you will never have joy. And so what does enough look like for you? That might be a different question for each of us. But I want you to go home this week and you just tune me out at this point. If you're not here yet, you got to get past here before you get to the next thing I'm going to say. So if you're not here yet, just focus on this all week. In what ways in your life do you actually have enough 
but you've made yourself think or others have made you think that you don't have enough. In what ways in your life do you have enough, but you might not feel right now like you have enough? Let me give you some examples of that. If you have a job that affords you a living wage and affords you basic necessities, you probably have enough for work. Now, I'm not saying you can't strive for more. That's not what I'm saying. I think there's a good, hearty American spirit to trying to better yourself. That's fine. But if you cannot find joy in your job when your job does its purpose, which is giving you enough, you'll never find joy in the next job. It gives you a little bit more. If your car drives reasonably well most of the time, if it is a Honda of any kind, or Toyota, anything made by the Japanese, you probably have enough. If you have the ability to clean your house, it's not so over-packed with stuff that you can't even clean. If you can live in a clean environment, you probably have enough. I mean, we could go on and on and on. If you're in a relationship, and sometimes they're not the best person to be around, but they love you, you got enough. Some of us have to be told that when we're young. We don't get it, right? Some of us have been in relationships that we didn't realize how good it, we had it just because the other person loved us. Understand all of these things. If you have your health, even if you got a little pain here and there sometimes, I do too, and I'm like super young. <laughs> My shoulder gives me problems sometimes, but I got enough. When enough isn't enough, you can never have joy. So just lay there first. Land there first. Start recognizing your circumstances as having enough. And then start to see, this is the justice piece. You know, I always go to the justice thing. You're bored of this, turn it off, come back. Two minutes, okay. Promise, one minute, okay. Then start to recognize, are there people in your life who you can, see, I think we focus a lot on evangelism, which is a beautiful thing introducing somebody to Jesus for the first time, beautiful thing. We probably should focus as much on discipleship as we do on evangelism because there's a whole lot of people who think they know Jesus who don't know some of this basic stuff. There are probably people in your life who you're like, I don't need to worry about them, they're saved, right? But they're over here and they're in the wall and they're like, how do I get past this wall? I gotta get more. Tell those people. Help those people. And in the same way, if you have folks that are all the way over here and every single time they try and go here, they trip over a step and they can't seem to make it past this little livable situation, maybe do something about it. Maybe connect them up <laughs> with the guy who's over there. 
Maybe provide them with resources like Love Inc. or Beds or other things like that. Maybe, maybe mentor them. If you're a person who's in a, in a place where you can mentor people and help them get a, a, a reasonable job or, or if, they, you know, if they just need, a, there's plenty of examples, if they need somebody to watch their kids so that they can go to the, the meetings that they need to go to to get the help that they need, you should be the person to do it. As soon as you figure out what being in the middle feels like, you should, you should broadcast that reality to everyone in your life because most of the people that I know are over there. And they're here and they're just scratching to get past the wall. And there's a whole lot of people I know too are over here and they just, they just really, they probably will not experience the joy that they need to experience until they get to a reasonable level. This is why our bodies matter as much as our spiritual lives. Mahatma Gandhi, when speaking about Christianity, not about Hinduism, said, you know, the famous, I love your uh, Christ, but I don't love your Christians, right? That's actually not a real statement that he made. That was totally made up. But the other thing that we always quote him as saying is to a hungry person A piece of bread is the face of God. That's what I've experienced when I work with people who have not enough. The best discipleship you can do is is helping people meet their most basic needs. Ask Lisa Daly about it with her work with Love, Inc. People come to know the Lord when you start taking care of their bodies as much as you worry about their spiritual lives. So discipleship 101. Even if it's not evangelism, there's a lot of evangelistic tendencies in this message, but hey, there's a lot of Christians in your life that are on one end of the spectrum or another. And this is the message that they need, that when when enough is not enough, you can never have joy. So now let's move on. Talking about peace regardless, or joy regardless of circumstance. And this is where it gets little tough for us. And I'm about to wrap up, so we're, we're almost there. We're almost to the home stretch. Once you understand what joy feels like here, once you get it, even if you can't get quite to the middle, even if you're just like over here, or you're like not quite, you're not quite ready, so you're over here, whatever that is, once you understand that joy is being in the middle and that is being content with your worldly circumstances, then you can start to transcend those worldly circumstances. You can start to identify that there are gifts that you've been given that you don't even, you can't touch. You can't feel. This is why I think the most important associated word with the season of Christmas is joy. You know, there's all the four. We got the banners. But of those four, joy, that's the most important one. Because understanding that uh, the gift of God choosing to identify with humanity and thus choosing to identify with you, that is a greater gift than anything that any of us could ever experience or know. That God, who is so beyond and above and, 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 and greater than humanity, chose to just come and dwell among us. That the word became flesh in the words of the message, Eugene Peterson's message, Bible, and moved into the neighborhood. That is perhaps the most stunning example of grace, which leads to joy. 
See, doesn't matter where your circumstances are, when you start to understand that enough is enough, then you can start to look at what God has done for you. And I'm not talking about atonement right now. We can get into that later. I'm talking about incarnation. That God even had the presence of mind to lower God's self to being in a human body. How ridiculous a thing for a divine being to do. The fact that God did that, that is the greatest gift. You start to see that that's more than enough. And so everything else, all of your other circumstances, they can fall into that beautiful thing. And so that's why when James says this, this line, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy because you know that testing in your faith produces endurance and endurance has its full effect so that you might be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. When, when, when he's saying that, he's saying, hey, you've always thought of joy as, as, as not having suffering, of having just enough, not being on this side or not suffering on this side because there's a lot of people who, they might have a lot of stuff but they have no relationships. They're still lacking. He says, whenever you face trials or suffering of any kind, start to identify that with the feeling of joy because it allows you to surrender to the unshakable force in the universe, which is God. See, this is, this is like the 102. This is the advanced class in joy. The starter class in joy is just being content where you are with enough. And that's a hard message if you go to certain places of this world where nobody has enough. But the 102 version is that once you understand what that feels like to have enough and to be content and to be happy with your life, then you can start to understand what it's like when even you're not happy with your life and you can still experience the joy that is in Christ. That is messy business, though. It's messy business. Understanding that endurance, persistence, as the youth will hear about in two weeks, this is gonna, or uh, three weeks, this is going to be Tim's message for, for, our, for our high school students and the high school students from Good Shepherd. Talked about persistence. That's actually a, that's like a value. That, that, that's joy. When you understand that nothing can shake what God has done for you, then you can start to have joy irrespective of your circumstances. That's the fruit, that's the gift. Once you begin to cultivate the land to be able to even produce it in the first place. So this is my encouragement to you. Joy is not being happy. Just divorce those things in your mind. They're not, it's, they're, happy is about your circumstances. Joy should be transcendent of your circumstances. Don't make it about your feelings. Don't make it about getting what you want or not having enough. Don't make it about envy. Looking at someone else and saying, I wish I had that, and if I had that, then I'd have joy. Don't sit and wallow in those things that you don't have. Instead, be content, be comfortable with being in the middle of extremes, knowing that God came for you so that he could know you because he loves you. And that, my friends, that's where joy is. And I'm struggling, just like you, maybe more than many of you, 
I'm struggling. Because sometimes it doesn't feel like enough. So join me in trying. Best as we can.